0: All right, Hebrews chapter 12, let's start at the end of 12 and read into 13. So we're going to start in twelve twenty six and read ourselves into 13. Verse 26, at that time, his voice, speaking of God, God's voice shook the earth, but now in this new covenant time that we live in, he has promised yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase in scripture, yet once more, it indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, material things, in order that one day the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Verse 28, therefore, because of that promise, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire." Chapter 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the gift of being here this morning. God, thank you for these students, these teenagers, the adults in this room. God, I know as well there may be people who have come in this morning. And it's been a while since they were connected with the church worship service or able to be in a in a time like this. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. God, we know we didn't come to be entertained. We didn't come to listen to anybody's opinion about something. God, we came because we believe the God of the universe speaks to us through his word. And God, you've shown us your goodness this morning as we pray together, as we worship and sing together. And God, show us what that worship looks like as we live as your people. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at Emmaus, in addition to the really fun things happening among our teenagers and, and student ministry, Over the last couple of years, God's been really kind to us in bringing a lot of young couples to our church family. It's been fun to see this develop, and these couples invite one another and care for one another throughout the week, and just some really neat things happening in that young adult side of ministry here at Emmaus, and and along with that has come a lot of new babies coming into our church family. It's been fun to, to celebrate that and see these new babies coming into our church. One unexpected piece of pressure and anxiety that comes with having a little baby is coming up with a name. Uh, for that baby. And that will test your relationship with someone to try to come up with a name for that new little kid that's coming. You're trying to come up with a name that the initials can be monogrammed and it's not going to be embarrassing. Or you're trying to come up with a name that they can navigate middle school with that name. It's going to be okay that somehow they'll make it through their middle school. And you're trying to come up with what name? That whole process of coming up with a name gives me a lot of sympathy for all those moms years ago who said, I'm going to call my girl Karen." Man, like, that's going to be a great name. Like, just can't wait for that little girl to grow up and and be a Karen. I mean, that's going to go really well for her. Um, Let me just state from the beginning here, all the Karens I know are incredible people, all right? Let me just go on record. There is nobody in this room that I would be referring to in a negative way. I thought this, this shows my age and my attempt to use cultural humor, but I thought the opposite in culture of a Karen was supposed to be a Ken, but I found out it's a Chad. So if you're a Karen or a Ken or a Chad, apparently, I, my apologies to you. If you don't know what I'm talking about, here's what I'm talking about. A couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, the name Karen went from just being a simple female name to taking on a different meaning, a different connotation. It became associated with someone who was entitled or privileged and could be very loud in public. It even, in a really strange way, got associated with a particular kind of haircut, and so people became obsessed with identifying Karens. Here's the key. It made me begin to think about this. What causes someone to become associated with a certain name, or a certain description. And here's the question that really matters this morning. Here's why I say all that. Think about the term Christian. Not the name Christian, but the identifier Christian. What causes someone to look at a person and say that person is a Christian? The T-shirt we wear? (laughs) The bumper sticker you have on your car? Whether you take your Bible to work? even in a strange way in our country, associated with voting and politics, all these things can be associated. That person is identified as a Christian. Well, guess what? Jesus answered this question. John chapter 13. It's going to be on the screen for you to look at. John chapter 13, 34 and 35. Jesus said, As I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. How do you identify that someone is a Christian? By their love. That's how you identify them. God, for all of eternity, has been loving. He has been associated. He has been truly love Before the creation of the world, sometimes people will ask, what was God doing Before he created the world, was he just sitting around? What was God doing before he created the world? God, for all of eternity, has been loving. Because remember, one God eternally existing as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before anything was created, the Father was pouring out his love to the Son. The Son was loving the Father, and that love was made possible by the power of the Holy Spirit. For all of eternity, God has been love, and God's love led him to create the world. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, and the Son came and said that greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And so the Son in love gave his life, and the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God into our lives, And when the Bible came to the point of identifying what it looks like to have the Holy Spirit, you know what was at the top of the list? The fruit of the Spirit is love. And we love because God first loved us. The key marker of the Christian faith is that we are people of love. And the reason we need to hear this so much this morning is we can grow up in a church culture Where we get very good at looking religious on the outside, and we can wear the right t-shirts, and we can obey all the rules, and we can look like everything is together. But the Christian life is about God's love being poured into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit in Christ, and then we, in return, love one another. Love is the identifying marker of the Christian faith. Now, what does this have to do with the book of Hebrews? well. Let's remember what's been going on in the book of Hebrews. Let me give you a big picture reminder of how Hebrews works here. So we have this famous cross that we've been drawing. Kids drew it for us on stage. Kids keep practicing this cross as um, in your notes off to the side, but let's remember how the book of Hebrews works. The book of Hebrews begins in telling us that in these last days God has spoken to us in his son. So the book of Hebrews is showing us a God who speaks A God who works in this world, he has sent his son to show salvation, to provide that salvation. And you see that all the way through the book of Hebrews. And then in chapter 12, we found out last week that if you love tacos, it shows you how to respond to the Lord. Uh, That many of you sent me pictures of you eating tacos this week, which I appreciate. We had that Wednesday night, but this tacos, this thankfulness and awe that we have. We confess before the Lord. We pray for others. We pray for ourselves. We respond in gratitude and worship. So here's the key. Throughout the book of Hebrews, you have a God who speaks, and you have a people who are called to respond to him in worship. And when we think about worship in the church, what do we mainly think about? We think about prayer and praise. When you say You're going to go to a worship service. What's the first thing that comes to mind? You think about the music. You think about the songs you sing. And that is a core part of worship, that we are people of prayer and praise. But here's the key. Right now our cross is only doing this, but there are sidebars. Remember this picture up here. God speaks down to us. He comes down to us through Jesus Christ, through the power of his spirit. We respond. We respond up to him in prayer and praise, but then He draws us into what he is doing. He draws us into the people of God where we experience love for one another. And then as we'll talk about next week, we go out and we share that with others. So, you have chapter 12 that ends with a reference to worship. And then what does the first verse in chapter 13 say? You've had this whole thing about worship. And then chapter 13, verse 1 says, Let brotherly love continue. And if we're not careful, when you're reading your Bible and you come to a chapter break, remember those chapter breaks in your Bible, they came after it was originally written. Those chapter breaks came just to make it easier to find places in your Bible. Sometimes those chapter breaks are not our friends, though, because they break up the flow of thought. And so here you have verses at the end of chapter 12 about worship, and then you get chapter 13 about love, and in our minds, we start to think the subject has changed. We start to think he's talking about something else. He is not talking about something else. He is continuing to talk about worship. And do you know how we demonstrate our worship toward God? It's in how we love one another. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This idea that if we are going to truly worship God, if you want to know what it is to worship God, it's going to come in the way that we treat one another. It's going to come through this brotherly love. Now, you see brotherly love, and you're like, well, is it only for dudes? No, brotherly love is just a phrase there that talks about sibling relationship, family relationship. And so what I want to talk about this morning, what we're going to work through, is we are going to work through three steps Three steps in the process of experiencing brotherly love. So if you'd like to take notes, it's just a simple one, two, three. This morning we're going to walk through what does it look like to experience the love of God in our lives and in our church. Number one, brotherly love begins with faith. Number one, brotherly love begins with faith. This is the reminder that all throughout the Bible... God has been in the process of forming a people, a family of faith. You go back to Genesis chapters 1 and 2. What's he doing? He's bringing Adam and Eve together, forming that first family. You go to Genesis chapter 12. What's he doing? He's drawing Abraham. He's drawing Abraham out where he's going to form a family that he's going to use to take the good news to all the people, that they would be a light and a blessing to the nations all throughout the Bible, god is in the process of forming and shaping a people and the reason we need to remember this is because we live in a very individualistic world and we grew up in churches where the main goal was that you would be saved you singular would be saved and you would have a relationship with god that's a part of what god does in your life but it is only a small part Because when God saves you, when you become a Christian, you are brought into the people of God. You are made part of the people of faith. Galatians chapter 3 says, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. Again, sons is used there because it wants you to know that you are made part of the inheritance. You're included in all that God is giving to his people. And you experience adoption as sons. When you think about what God does in our lives at salvation, he adopts us into his family. Look at the next verse that's given up there. It's Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. It says that he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he, speaking of Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brothers. This first point about how brotherly love begins with faith is just a reminder That what brings us together is our faith in Jesus, and because of that, we are made a part of the family of God. Teenagers, let me encourage you with something. Do not be embarrassed of the phrase church family. I know it's an old school family, I mean an old school phrase, I know it sounds super traditional, but one of the greatest gifts that God will give you in your lives is being part of a church family that you have a place and a people that you belong to. Because if church is something that you go to or something you do, you can decide whether or not you're going to continue to do that later in your life. But if you realize that you have been adopted into, brought into the family of God, it's part of who you are. It's part of what God has made you to be. And so this phrase, when I think about the church I grew up in and what a gift it was, that little country church in southwest Oklahoma, one of my favorite Images, in my mind, is just this idea of being a part of a church family. That when you are a part of a church family, you didn't buy your way into that place. You didn't earn your way into the place. You don't have to go to that place to impress anybody or prove anything. You are there because of the grace of God shown to you through Jesus, as Jaron said so well earlier. That's the gift of the family. and And then students, when you were brought into that family, you get brothers and sisters in Christ who are also spiritual grandparents to you. This is the joy of a multi-generational church that you are brought into this family of faith where you are able to learn from people who are further along and they care for you and and older adults remember what the students don't need from us and I have not done a good job proving this this morning but what the students don't need from us is our attempts to be cool, okay? Because every one of our attempts to be cool usually just goes really badly as I show myself every single day of my life uh, with, with teenagers in the house. But what they need is not for us to be cool They need for us to be loving. They need to see unconditional love, that you're not fake, that you're real, that you have brokenness and struggles as well, but that you love them, that you are welcoming toward them, that you care deeply for them. We are brought into a family of faith that's full of joy and peace and love. It's this beautiful picture. What what could possibly go wrong? Have you ever been part of a family? Like, what could go wrong? Have you ever have you seen families? Like, do you know what happens? Do you know what happens in families? Like, remember what happened with the first family that, that God created. You go back to the beginning of Genesis. How did brotherly love go with the first try at a human family in the Bible? Not well. The two brothers did not get along for very long. In fact, one of the other brothers ultimately killed his brother because of jealousy and strife. Church family when it is working well, is a beautiful thing. Church family, when it is not working well, is a very hard and painful and difficult thing. And so here goes point number two. Point number one is brotherly love begins with faith. Point number two is that brotherly love continues through difficulty. That when we are made part of the people of God, when we are brought into his family, That love that we have for one another is one of the most powerful spiritual forces imaginable in our world. Which means, if the enemy of God is working back against the kingdom of God, what is the enemy of God going to try to stop first? The love of God's family for one another. And so when the author of Hebrews comes to this point, and he says, let brotherly love continue, why would he say that? Why would he give that command, let brotherly love continue, you must do this? Because their brotherly love is being threatened. Because this pastor who wrote this book looks out at his congregation, and he sees some people that he's not so sure they love each other anymore. (laughs) He looks out there and he says, guys, we have to continue to love one another, because that love is going to be threatened. For the people in the Bible here, in the book of Hebrews, their love for one another is being threatened first by outside pressure. There are pressures in society, there are pressures in culture that are pushing back at them for being associated with Jesus, being associated with the church, and some of them are losing their jobs, some of them are losing their homes, some of them are losing friendships, And this pressure, this outside pressure from culture and from society on the church is beginning to cause friction among the people in the church. And it's not just outside, it's also internal conflict. In the people of God, in the family of God, internal conflict will bubble up. What causes internal conflict in the church? Well, about a million things. <laughs> you, can, you can start making a list, and you're like, there's all these things that can cause conflict. Sometimes it's just our, you know, dumb personality battles that we have. Sometimes it's sin that hasn't been dealt with that rises up in the church, and, and it causes this conflict. And when this conflict begins to arise, people begin to turn away from the church. They're like, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to be associated with that or they turn against each other and so instead of running away you know there's the flight option but some people like the fight option and so this conflict rises in the church and begin to fight and here's the dangerous thing when brotherly love in the church is threatened people will begin to doubt the goodness of God they'll begin to doubt is God really at work here? Like, is this what it looks like for God to form a people of faith? Is this what it looks like for God to work among his people? And so we turn against one another, we turn away from one another, and then we begin to struggle with these doubts. And brotherly love has to continue through that. We have to keep going. Because when love is threatened, it also gets twisted. What's going to happen over the next few weeks, next five or six weeks, what we're going to look at in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13 we're going to see different ways that love is meant to be lived out in the church because if we're not careful, it gets twisted in all of these different ways. And what happens is, one of the ways love gets twisted is we make love for one another to mean love only the people that you really like. (laughs) Uh, Love only the people who are like you. So let me put a book in front of you, okay? This book that I've been reading recently is called love the ones who drive you crazy. And you're like, oh, maybe I'll buy two or three of those and hand those out (laughs) as gifts to people. Uh, So love, love the ones who drive you crazy. What does it look like to love people that you just don't like very much, that you have conflicts with and disagreements with and personality clashes with, and you're like, how did they get into the family of God? You know, like, what's good? You just, you have these fears Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Students, I think you guys did Sermon on the Mount for United Weekend, but Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount talks about if you greet or are good to only people who are like you, what good is that? What reward are you going to receive for that? Even people in the world do that. We as the people of God are called to love those who are not like us, love those who are hard to love. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this powerful quote. And we'll talk about it more next week, but he has this powerful quote. How a lot of Christian communities have been destroyed because the people in that church, in that Christian community, they loved their dream, their ideal for the church, more than they loved the actual church in front of them. We build up in our minds this ideal, this dream of what it should be like to be a part of the Christian community. And when people are just normal people, and they struggle, and they mess up, and this is not as easy as you thought it was going to be, you turn away because you created this ideal that was never how God works among his people. We're broken. We're, we're messed up. We're, we're vulnerable. But we have experienced the grace of God, and so we have to love those even who are not like us. We live in a world where love gets twisted to be overly sexualized. Everything about love becomes sexualized. And the gift of the church is that we are brought into a place where where the marriage bed is to be kept pure, where the gift of purity among people is a gift to show people that love, not every part of love has to be overly sexualized. We're going to learn about the danger of loving things more than we love people. (laughs) We get to a point in life that we begin to love things more than we love people. Uh, Two weeks ago, I caused division in our church by picking between the mountains and the beach. Last week, we brought unity to our church because about 97% of you voted for tacos and some other people voted against tacos. Go figure, what do you do? But it's church, we never get 100% vote on anything, even tacos, and so uh, we did that. Okay, so here's a fun one. I'm excited about this one. I have no idea how this one's gonna go, but here's the division in the church today, okay? We're gonna separate the room between the extroverts and the introverts. All right, you gotta pick. Don't make me define it a bunch. You know what I'm talking about, okay? So extroverts are, you get your energy from being with people, like you need people. You need to be out there doing things with people. Introverts, you get your energy because you need to withdraw from the people. (laughs) You're like, I gotta get away, I gotta need some me time. Like I just, I I need to do that a little bit, so okay. You're gonna, you're gonna pick between the two, all right? Here we go. How many of you would fall into the extrovert column? Shocking, okay. I can't see well for the lights, but that's way more than I thought. Okay, how many of you would fall into the introvert column? All right, that was enough fun that we're actually gonna do that again, and I'm gonna look under the lights. Okay, extroverts, how many of you are extroverts? man, that is really encouraging and disturbing as well. So how many of you fall into the introvert camp? That is so close to 50-50. I I love, this is why I love Emmaus so much, this moment like this. Man, I love this church. Like, that's amazing that we fall into that. Those of us who are in the introvert, man, we love our checklist, and we love, like, just being by ourselves, and Sometimes we, we love just our, our peace more than we love the people you know around, and we're, and we're battling against this. Like, do I love, do I love these things more than I love the people? And those of you who are extroverts, you're off the hook, because sometimes extroverts, if they're not careful, end up using people for their own emotional fulfillment. And so instead of being with people because you love those people, you're with those people because you don't want to be by yourself with God. And you need those people. You need to use those. We're always in danger of using people or pushing people away. A couple of weeks after that, we're going to talk about this idea of if we're not careful, love can get twisted into a form of individualism and, and rebellion, all these different things at work. Thankfully, though, thankfully, there's a better form of love. And it comes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Have you heard of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 yet this morning? Yeah, we just did that. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, they're up on the screen again. What does love look like? Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. When I was reading these again this morning, I was like, okay, I'm doing all right. It is not irritable or resentful. Oh. Man, major strikeout on, on that one. Irritable, man, I, I don't like that about, my, about myself. Resentful is that famous phrase in First Corinthians 13 about keeping a record of wrongs. Just always remembering what somebody has done wrong. This, this, we become resentful. Verses 6 and 7, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Point number one this morning was that brotherly love begins with faith. We are a part of a church family because of Jesus. It continues through difficulty because loving one another is hard in a broken world. And number three, brotherly love is meant to develop over time. It grows over time. It's not automatic. It takes time. In fact, it takes difficulty that you go through. Think about the the marriage relationships and the friendships you have. When you go through those hard times and you work through those difficulties, love is expressed through that, not in spite of that. And so God takes us through these things. He puts us around hard people, including people you're sitting around right now. And, and guess what? You are probably one of those difficult people as well, as, as am I. And God takes us through those things, and he grows our love, our love for him and our love for one another. How do we experience love? We remember the gospel we remember what God has done in our lives. If you're in conflict with someone right now, if you're struggling to love someone right now, don't begin with trying harder. Begin by remembering the gospel. Because in that relationship that feels so broken, it hurts so badly right now, and love is not being expressed, the way that we get to that as the people of God is through the good news of Jesus. That we are more broken than we could ever imagine, but we are more loved in Christ than we could ever imagine as well. And because of that love, we want to love one another. And when you look in the ancient sources, when you go back and you start to study brotherly love in the ancient world, the number one key to brotherly love in the ancient world was sharing what you had with one another. To be a part of a family, and students, this is a really cool part of this, but to be a part of a family is that what I have is yours. The old mi sukasa, su This idea of the things that I have, I want to share with you. And so the resources I have I want to share with you, my time, my words of encouragement, my acts of service, the gift of giving a hug and and this physical touch, all those love languages we think about, the idea that we'd share those with others. A couple of months ago, uh, a lady who is an international missionary to Africa who's been a good friend of my family for a long time, she was back here with us for a while, and she introduced me to a phrase that I can't go through a week without thinking about now. She talked about loving one another, she talked about the difference between an attitude that says, there you are, and an attitude that says, here I am. So imagine, it's not hard to imagine, imagine a person walks into a room. Some people walk into a room, and the moment they walked into that room, they're screaming, here I am. Look at me, all the attention comes on me, Somebody pay attention to me quickly. I, you walk into a room, some people just scream, here I am. Some people walk into a room and they're looking around saying, there you are. Man, I'm so excited about God's work in your life. There you are. I know you're going through something hard. I care for you. Students, I know I keep talking to you this morning because you're so tired, but, but if you'll get the difference between those two phrases, it will absolutely change your life. Be the kind of person who walks into a room and says, there you are, not here I am. Be the kind of person that walks into a room and says, I want to strengthen that person. I want to sharpen that person. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We want to be the type of people that lift others up. We want to be the type of people that love one another because of the way that God has put us into these church families just for a couple of minutes, it's a very short video, but just for a couple of minutes, I want you to watch this video about love for one another in the church. They shot it vertical, so it only takes up a little bit of the screen. They're subtitles, but they're kind of small, so they're a little hard to read. But I think as the video starts to go, you'll get an idea of what this guy is talking about. Um, so let's watch this for just a second, thinking about brotherly love.
1: If I'm honest, I never really liked the church. I didn't even really like Christians that much. I used to think of it like a package deal. Like, you get Jesus, and so you get the church and Christians thrown. It's just part of the package, and uh, there are some bits you like Jesus, some bits you don't like so much, just like the church and Christians um, used to find that a bit annoying. But I'd turn up the church and go through it, but I didn't really enjoy going to church. And then one day, uh, I was at the back of our church in East London, and someone said to me, oh, w- we need help to run the coffee team. And last night, I was like working like 70, 80 hour a week. I'm like, what? And they were like, yeah, we, Steve, we really do help running the coffee team on a Sunday. And I was thinking, I'm a pastor, I'm not a barista. Like, I've got a job. I don't need another job to run the coffee team. But I just, you know how sometimes you, you just can't even think of what to say. So I was like, okay, I'll do it, I'll do it, okay. And and I instantly thought, why did I do that? So I turned up next week, like, you know, trying to get the cups and everything, get the coffee right. As I handed these cups to people, Something really changed in me. I found myself as I handed coffee to these people, growing in love for them. I was like, these people are amazing. Like, this is this extraordinarily diverse community. It's been gathered from across the area. Probably not another place that looks as diverse and integrated as this. This is a miracle. And then, I, even people I found a little bit more frustrating and complicated, as I handed them their coffee, I kind of grew in love for them. And I kind of basically fell in love with the church. And then I kind of went back to the person who'd asked me to do it. I said, we need a new coffee machine. We need better beans. We need better mugs. Like come on, these are amazing people. I want this to be the best coffee that they get. You know, they, they're coming to church on a Sunday morning. I got more and more passionate. I started to build a team to serve coffee on a Sunday morning. I sometimes say making coffee changed my life because I fell in love with the church of Jesus Christ. I didn't realize why it was special. I didn't realize why it mattered. And as I made coffee for people, I suddenly realized, oh, the church is like the bride of Jesus Christ. It's like the thing he gave himself for. Like, the church is God's plan for the salvation of the world. There's no plan B, and God is going to build his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, like, God is putting all his eggs in the church basket, and I realized, Over those few weeks, there's a beautiful thing here. Yes, it messes up. Yes, it makes mistakes. You'll never find a perfect church, but it's a beautiful thing. And I thought, that's what I want to spend my life building. Now, first
0: off, our coffee bar is not big enough for everyone to immediately join the coffee volunteer team. Uh, Though that's that's a good thing to be doing. I just thought it was a really neat picture of how God used the church to change his heart about what it means to love one another. And Emmaus, I want you to know this morning how much I love you. How much you mean to me. Um, In a really embarrassing way and, and almost just an open confession time before you, when I came here eight years ago, there was without a doubt a part of me in a really youthful, prideful sort of way that probably felt like Emmaus in some way was lucky or fortunate to have me here. Eight years later, I feel exactly the opposite. I stand before you so lucky to have you, so so thankful for you as, as my friends, as my church family. I, I stand before you so thankful for the opportunities to pray for you, to have funny conversations with you, to watch your kids grow up in the Lord. And when I think about what God has done in my life, This idea that when we begin to experience God's grace in our life, it shows up in the way that we love his people, that we love what he's doing among his church. And we are thankful for the other churches in this area and around the world, and we celebrate with this, and God puts us in local churches so we can experience how good he is. And so I just stand before you this morning wanting you to know how much I love you and how thankful I am for you. And as we think about experiencing God's work in our lives, what does it look like to respond to that this morning? You may be here this morning, and you have never trusted in Jesus. You've been turned off by the church. You've really been frustrated with the things of religion. And this morning that you would see God's love for you through Jesus, that what he has done for you to take away your sins, to overcome the power of death, and this morning would be the day that you would become a Christian, that you would become a follower of Jesus. You may be here this morning, and you're a follower of Jesus, but you're about that close to being fed up with the church, and, and maybe even being in here this morning is a hard thing, and God would use this morning to draw you back to love his people, to love one another, that you would get connected to a church. It doesn't have to be Emmaus, but find a place to get connected, to love, and to serve. And you may be here this morning, and there's somebody that you are really struggling to love. There's somebody that you feel like you're in conflict with. And right now, it's really hard to love them. And the thing that you need to do today is you need to reach out to that person and experience the power of the gospel. It doesn't mean automatically everything's going to be perfect and rosy in that relationship. But God has poured his love into your life through the Holy Spirit. And you have a chance to reach out and to show that gospel love to someone else. Whatever that looks like, if we can pray for you about those relationships, pray for you about God's work in your life, We want to do that. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to stand up and sing the final song, and we'll be dismissed after that. God, thank you for this church family. I, I feel at a complete loss of words this morning, just kind of fumbling over my words here at the end about trying to express how much I love these people. God, what it means to see them here, to worship with them here, and then to go out and worship in how we live our lives. And God, if there's somebody here this morning that today is the day that they would experience salvation, their heart has been hard against religion and spiritual things, but God, that your love is able to break that down and this morning that they would ask questions about what it means to become a Christian. God, that you would use today to drive someone, to commit to be a part of a local church. Maybe they just show up next Sunday morning for Discover Emmaus. It's just it's the next step they need to take or they need to take a step to serve or to get connected to a group. And God, I pray especially that if there are people in the room who are dealing with broken relationships, God, they're, they're in conflict, they're hurting, that the power of the gospel would work through those relationships so they could truly say, I love that person. And I love them because of the love of Jesus. And so, Father, we stand together right now as your church, and we sing because our hope is in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.